This podcast is from a previously recorded YouTube video. If you'd like to watch that video, go to www.youtube.com and search for Chris Chocolat. Hi, we're going to talk today about Rick Okasik. I'm here with Stephen Alloy. Hey, guys. How you doing? We've got 10 questions we want to ask. It's going to, what we're going to do today is we're going to use a Socratic method and try to get to the truth of what, what are some of the essences of, of what are those questions if we were to interview Rick today that we'd really want answered that you haven't, that he wasn't asked or when they went were in interviews, they weren't able to uh, dig down and figure out um, and get an answer from him. So that's what we kind of want to dig in. And really this is album review and just having fun and just trying to explore um, Rick Okasik and coming up with, with 10 questions. We, you would want to ask him if you got a chance to, to ever run into them in the in the Which afterlife, you may have missed your chance at least in this life. But uh, you know, and if you've if you've seen our earlier discussions of the Rolling Stones or the Doors, uh, we did a couple albums for uh, each of them. Uh, you know that the questions are more. It's more what you might call essay questions. It's more discussion points. Uh, we, it's not an easily definable question in a lot of cases. Sometimes it's a topic for discussion, which. I, it always makes it interesting. Yes, that's, that's, that's why it's always nice having a lawyer because you set the it rules helps, and the right. lawyer figures out a way around yeah. the the, uh, the ten question. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that is, and that is kind of our role here. Uh, you know, Chris basically sets the rules, and then I find a way around the rules. Yes. So, and then he sets new ones, and I find a way around those. So that, that's that's kind of how this works. So, hope you enjoy it. Uh, this is. I got to tell you, as I have said, I think, on every one that we've done, every album we've talked about, this, I've always enjoyed this album. This has been one of my favorite albums. Uh, I really had fun uh, just putting it on the, putting it on the turntable and listening to it straight through. Mm -hmm. Often you get on Spotify or you get on, I get on Apple Music and you play one or two songs, but Mm -hmm. there's something different when you put it on the album and you just listen to it straight through. And really they're... There. Uh, first, let me get a shout out to was it the um, the Night Spot uh, uh, podcast? They're the Cars mm. podcast. Oh, yeah, they yeah. do everything about the Cars podcast. And I was listening to them. I think they hit it right on the head. Mm. This is this is their greatest hit album because you. I listened to it sort this of is and, yeah. And th- this music is um, these songs like are so iconic today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember it. I mean, I, I remember parts of 1978, I suppose, but I don't. I don't remember. Um, necessarily this I don't remember the cars and and but going back mm-hmm. and listening to it now you know, after they're they're in movies they're in yeah oh yeah the, the soundtracks yeah, these, of, of these major uh, Hollywood films these songs appear a lot of places uh, see I see I, I'm a little bit older I do remember 1978 and uh, I remember the cars in fact one of the reasons I I were I was here in 1978 I was at uh, Loyola Law School in 1978 I vividly remember this album remember the cars. Uh, remember the whole, I and mean, we'll talk more about uh, their role in the kind of new wave or you know post punk, punk, whatever you want to call it, uh, movement, uh, musical movement of that of that time period. But uh, I also remember this because I I love the album cover. Uh, I've always loved this album cover. Uh, maybe because around this same time I had a brief girlfriend who vaguely looked like this. Was not the Russian model on the on the cover, but. Looked enough like that that it I thought it was Candy O that you said. Well, no, I <laughs> I was a different girlfriend. I, no, I always wanted a girlfriend that looked like the Candy O cover. Oh, okay. I never quite, never quite got there. But uh, this one, uh, so did. your girlfriend just happened to look like. 
I I have a lot of rock and roll girlfriends. girlfriends. I look like we started I, off the debut album with, and then went, went out with Rod Stewart. Went out with Maggie May for a long time, and uh, you know they all look like various rockers of one sort or another. And uh, you know, but uh, but this one, uh, no, this one uh, actually take her out of a you know fifties uh, Chrysler or whatever car that is, and take a little bit of the red lipstick off, and that's uh, pretty close. Yeah, so. like I always wonder when you look at the steering wheel, like what's mm-hmm. going on. I guess. Car. I mean, it was a fancy steering wheel. I guess in '78 you mm-hmm. had. I mean, today all the steering wheels, because I guess you have the the airbags, um, not quite as fancy. Like, is it just? It looks like it's a clear acrylic. Um, yeah, I I think it's a. Uh, it it looks like even like in '78. Um, I don't think steering wheels basically looked like that. I think this is probably a an older car. Uh, it's probably meant to be like a classic car. What would have been a classic car in 1978, probably a fifties car or something. And, um, it might even be not the real steering wheel that was in that fifties Buick or Chrysler. Oh no, I'm sure it's a, it's a, a studio shot. Yeah. It's yeah. an Electra records created, you know, steering wheel. The photographers not like climbing cool. on the hood of a car and like taking a picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It's cool though. I, it, like, is she about to, and this was like, yeah, I mean, nobody knows what she's doing, but it's, I think for the Cars' debut album, it's mm-hmm. definitely an iconic cover that, that gets your attention. It is, and you can almost—it's almost like they're doing that that old '50s game of you know blindfold driving, and which I don't don't try this at home or on the roads for that matter. But what, what uh, it's game almost is this? like what she. Well, you know, you cover your eyes and you. Drive. I don't know this. Oh well, <laughs> you know, I never actually did this because you know I have enough trouble when I'm actually looking when I'm driving, but um, apparently there is a game where you you know, you go real fast and you cover your eyes and you see if they stay on the road. And if you're about to go off the road, they, you know, they say, you know, yeah, take your hand away. So it's almost like what she's doing. There may be, I don't know. But there could be a lot of things that she's doing. I, I, like I with know. Tesla, I can make, like, kind of see that interesting. Well, it takes, you know, the, the smart cars, it really takes the whole game away because, yeah, yeah. of course, you're going to, you know, you could fall asleep for a couple hours, yeah. I mean, this is why, like, the fatality you know, rate in, like, you know, 1950s yeah. and 60s was, like, every third car, every yeah. third time you go drive your car. Well, there's no risk there. I mean, well, I guess there is. The thing could fail, I suppose. You know, there's a difference between, I always had a problem with, like, <clears throat> risk and stupidity. Yeah. Like, like something could it be is a funny risky, line. and then some life. things you do are just stupid. Yeah. Like, yeah. I guess so, like, driving a car is mm-hmm. risky, right. but then there's just... Like, well, that's perhaps one of the reasons I've never actually done this yes. live because I thought I, I'm willing. <laughs> risky is one thing. But I wasn't. This kind of crossed the stupid just line for me. Just sort of a general, right? sort of a general. So I kind of never did that, yeah. but I've heard of it. Though. Driving blind, yes. Yeah, it's it's not so good. Not so good. Yeah. Well, let's get started. Let's, let's get started. Get first question <clears throat> that we want to ask. Well, I I have one here, um, and this actually came from one of the interviews that I that. I watched in preparation for today. Um, and yeah, we, do, we have a list of those interviews that, yeah. that are on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So if you want to list, if you want to go to the playlist on this channel, you can any interview I could find, I I linked on that playlist. Mm-hmm. And I this was an interview with uh, Greg Hawks, their keyboardist, and uh, he was talking about contemporary musical acts. You know, contemporary when they were starting in the late seventies. Uh, and ones that he thought they had a lot in common with, ones he didn't. He named a few that he thought they did not have a lot in common with, such as Bon Jovi, and I would agree. I don't see a lot of <laughs> a lot of common ground between them and Bon Jovi. But then he said, uh, we had more in common with 
And he named these groups, the Pretenders, the Police, Devo, and Talking Heads. And as I was watching that, I was thinking, you know, okay, I get Devo. Uh, Devo was a little edgier, but some of the music was similar. I, okay, I can see that. And whip it good. I, I get Talking Heads, you know, kind of the artsy, edgy stuff. Okay, I get that. Um, I'm struggling with the Pretenders and the Police, however. I, I don't know that I see a lot of... So, commonality. Like the with, police, I I would argue like the police, the synchronicity <clears throat> album mm-hmm. and the Ghost of the Machine. I think those two um is it Ghost I think uh, yeah, Ghost of Machine. Ghost of the Machine. Yeah. I, those yeah. I yeah. like I see some uh really like it's simple lyrics, mm-hmm. the the you've got a uh you kind of have like a new wave sound on on those songs. Mm-hmm. Um and so I I see some I mean, in terms, of, they weren't disco. Like the Police was definitely not yeah. a oh, disco yeah. no. album. Oh, no. And it wasn't no. like they weren't playing Grease. Like, no, it wasn't like the no. Grease sound. Or it wasn't like a '50s retrospective. Mm-hmm. So I could see the like they definitely like the Police at the time would have been closer to what they were doing with the cars. Hmm. Uh, maybe not. The new maybe you set. know, and they were. Um, I mean, the Cars at that time were, um, and well, really throughout their career were. Uh, part of what might be called the uh, the new wave or the post punk, um, you know, they were kind of lumped in with a lot of groups that, uh, again, they may not have had a lot in common with, but they were they were. Uh, I always saw them as more uh, commercially acceptable and more on the pop end of the new wave, maybe than than somebody like, um, well, like even Talking Heads, for example, uh, was was similar to them, but maybe was a little further down from the pop side but and so your question for rick would be like what like what do you see as mm-hmm. who did you see as your contemporaries i would yeah i guess i would ask uh rick okasik who by the way i i spent 30 years pronouncing his name okasik and uh one of these interviews he introduced himself and he said okasik so i'm gonna go with that uh, i figure he might know yeah and got another interview <laughs> where he says it different um please let us know let us know because as well because i've seen it like i, I watched I watched uh, uh, several of these interviews, and the the interviewer mm-hmm. always says Kasich. Yeah, but when he oh, yeah. introduces himself, it's sort of a Kasich. And he doesn't correct them. I mean, he just yeah. he just goes on with the interview. But he, this one, he literally introduced himself, and I, I'm going to assume he gave his right pronunciation for his name. But but I but I digress. Uh, my question for Rick Okasik would be. Uh, who did you really see as your contemporary? Who do you think you had a lot in common with musically? I mean, I would agree. I don't think you have a lot musically in common with Bon Jovi and some of the other acts. Certainly not the disco acts of that or era, or the the um, you know a lot of the. Gosh, who else was around in the late seventies? Some of the more pop, the more obviously pop acts of the late seventies. Yeah, I, I I don't see that. Like ACDC, pop, you know, came yeah. in the late. Yeah, I don't see pop. Then you're, you're not rock. not a, not a big not Venn diagram overlapping the cars and ACDC. Yeah, right? yeah, okay. yeah, I yeah. get that. But who would you say you did have a lot in common with? And and what similarity do you have to the Pretenders? Now, I love, I'm a great Pretenders fan, but I don't see a lot of commonality. I don't know. I'm I'm struggling. He's he's working with me on the police, and okay, there might be a little bit with the police, but I, I just pretenders. I'm really struggling with that one. So yeah. I don't know. That would be a, that, that'd, that'd be, be a good question. To be one of my questions. So I, my something you mentioned here was the idea of them. Like this had a very different sound, and a lot of it. I go back to technology. You have a synthesizer, yeah, and so they start playing with the synthesizer, mm-hmm. and so. I made an argument. I think I made an argument on 
was it the maybe on the doors with Ray Manzarek? Right. What people we call what people that. call psych. Mm-hmm. I'd argue is it's not psych. It's the dawn of the transistor. Well, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. What's, what you end up what you're really hearing is what people are calling you know the the, you oh, the, know, the reverb and the, well, what yeah. people are doing with reverb and all that other stuff is really just mm-hmm. you know okay how do we explore transistors. And then what you have here is again new sound, new technology mm-hmm. emerges, and they incorporate it into the into the rock and roll. Yeah. Um, but on that note, I th- um, you know as they're as they're developing this new sound, um, they have a new producer on this, or they they bring in a producer. So so Rick Kosick has been doing this for seven eight years. Uh, he's, he's got. Um, Roy Thomas Backer is producing this. He worked with Queen beforehand. Mm-hmm. And did he make, did he take their sound and make it just enough? Like, did he know how much to make it sound like stuff people had heard before mm-hmm. and then added just a little bit more so people accepted it? Yeah. But was that the key to this album and to the cars taking off? Because there's that whole idea of something's like totally new. Nobody wants mm-hmm. like no, you won't listen to it because you're like you don't know. What to, your brain doesn't know how to handle it. Right. But if oh. it's just a little bit new, you're like, oh, I, I recognize some of that, mm-hmm. and I, I like this new part. And so now it's it's going to take off. And so how mm-hmm. much? So if Rick, I'd like to ask like you know if he reflects if he had you know go back in time machine and talk to him in seventy in seventy six seventy eight when they're when they're working through this album and they're working with that producer, did he recognize that, uh, that they needed that? Like what, what was that relationship with, um, as you know, him as him as a songwriter, how did he feel having this producer that might've been pushing him towards, okay, you can't be so novel on your sound if we're going to make, be commercially successful. And did he enjoy that or not enjoy it? So Mm -hmm. it's a little bit multi-part question. Maybe, But just that whole idea of of this sound being new and having this producer mm-hmm. that had worked with, I mean, Queen was very was very big at this time. Very yeah. big. Oh yeah. Um, so he knew what people wanted to hear, and was he able to um, put that just little bit of new on it? And what was that like for the singer? Song, you know, for the songwriter to he, to be able to work with someone like that was that frustrating? Mm-hmm. And is that I mean, I think there's some follow-on questions that maybe I'll hit on later. But just that, does that end up making mm-hmm. uh, putting some like initial seed and and works like belly like oh I don't like this process and I want to mm-hmm. go independent later on. Um, so that's kind of my question. Yeah. What I mean, well, in the yeah. essence, my question mm-hmm. is what what was that feeling of working with this producer that had come off you know, been working with with Queen and mm-hmm. what was that working relationship like? Yeah. And you make a, you know, you make a couple of good points. I mean, one is that, uh, I think technology has always been an important part of rock and roll. Uh, you can have, you can talk about, Hey, it's a new sound, but if you can't produce the new sound, if you just had, don't have the, the equipment to produce the new sound, you, you know, you're not going to have a new sound. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's really, it's really been an important part of it all the way along. We talked about it with, with Ray Manzarek, uh, in, in an earlier session, but certainly true of the cars here. They were using very, they were using uh, kind of auto auto rhythm in a lot of kit, which is somewhat new at that point. They were using uh, very small keyboards in some cases, um, somewhat new at that point. So, and they were doing a lot of technological things that maybe hadn't existed 
five to ten years before that. So definitely a good point on the technology. Also a good point, too, on, on the uh, incremental change versus radical change. Uh, people may think they want radical change, but most of the time people don't really go for radical change. People yeah, until they get it. People will go for an incremental change. Yeah. Um, in fact, there's even there's a business principle on this. It's called uh, Maya. Uh, most advanced yet acceptable, because <laughs> you know if they, if it's something completely new and way advanced, nobody knows what to do with it. But if it's a little if it's a little improvement on something you're already doing or a different way of doing something you're already doing, okay, that might work. So that's kind of in in some ways I think that may be what the cars did here. Uh, they didn't they used a new technology and they took uh, kind of the new new wave you know, punk, post-punk, new wave type of music, and maybe took it in a slightly different direction, but didn't fundamentally change it. You know what I mean? And, and I think that, that may be why they succeeded, you know. Yeah, and having and somebody smart, well, of course, too. And having somebody that's done this with another band, mm-hmm. we know yeah, where... Queen the, was kind of doing the same thing in, in a lot of ways. I they didn't mention Queen, but I, I could see some overlap with Queen a little bit. Not so much stylistically, but more... Um, if you were a Queen fan back then, you were probably you would probably like the Cars. I mean, they don't yeah. sound a lot alike, but the same people probably like both groups. Yeah, you know? it, I, I think it was a Fleetwood Mac does a completely experimental album, and a lot of people just yeah. don't like it because yeah. it's like they're like, what is this? They don't. And, I don't and to me, I think that's Fleetwood Mac's best album. Yeah, so you, you I, I enjoy like the complete. That's why, and you yeah, enjoy, that was really good. and you enjoy the, the chaos. You enjoy just the complete, <laughs> yeah, complete novel. No, I did. I thought it was really good because I haven't been as big, maybe a Fleetwood Mac fan as a lot of people. So, but I, so I thought their experimental was like, hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> this is going a different direction. I like this. <laughs> or or I like their early stuff through the blues. But we're not really talking about Fleetwood Mac no. now. We're talking. We can do that maybe in another we're session. Cars. We're the talking door, about Rick. The cars. Okay. That's um, <clears throat> Speaking of Rick Ocasek, he. Um, he was not only a talented frontman for the Cars and musician and uh, songwriter, uh, but he also was a gifted uh, producer, uh, record producer, recording producer. Yeah, he produced a lot of uh, really good records, including uh, the Blue Album and the Green Album for Weezer, which you know most. I mean, there's great disagreement on Weezer fans. I'm a big Weezer fan as well. Great disagreement about, you know, when they were good and when they weren't good. But I think pretty much everybody agrees, hey, the blue album and the green album, yeah, those were good. Everybody likes those. It's just later it gets murkier. But um, he he produced, um, and he did actually a third album later for them, which, you know, some some Weezer fans don't like as much as, as, as others. But... You know, I was thinking about his work with Weezer, and I'm going to actually have another question later on his production that goes a different direction, but I was thinking about his work specifically with Weezer, and, uh, so you know, being a Weezer fan as well, I'm, I'm looking at Weezer compared with the Cars, and, you know, I think, I'd like to throw this out as a discussion question, is Weezer, more specifically, is Rivers Cuomo uh, a 90s Rick Ocasek? I think there's a you know I think an argument could well, be made Rick Ocasek, that if Rick Ocasek had been born 20 years later, he'd be Rivers Cuomo. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't know. I, I, let's let's discuss that, shall we? <laughs> yeah, well, like if you what do you what if like Rick Ocasek in 1978 listened to Weezer, like mm-hmm. what would he think of you know like like was this debut albums being put out and. 
you came from the you were from the future and you mm-hmm. left him a a a cassette of mm-hmm. of Weezer. Well, well, I have a theory, specific yeah. to the Blue album of Weezer, which he okay. produced. Okay, and right. Buddy Holly, one of the great songs on the Blue album. If you listen to Buddy Holly side by side with Just What I Needed off this album, um, I think you'll hear. I think you'll hear Rick Ocasek in there. I I think you will. <laughs> yeah. I think he's all over that Buddy Holly song. He's all over that album in a lot of ways, I think. So I think there's a lot of... Com- and I talk about commonality. I think there's a lot of commonality. Uh, not, again, different instrumentation. Um, you know, Weezer is less keyboard-oriented, maybe, than, uh, than the Cars. But I think the type of music and the uh, delivery of the music, a lot of, a lot of common ground. With where, where was Weezer? Where was Weezer... Out of where do they get their start? They're uh, I think they're out of Boston as well, or they're, I you know now I'm confused because um, I know Rivers Cuomo went to Harvard, which I don't think Rick Ocasek ever went to Harvard. Didn't well, he play? He, he couldn't get there. into Loyola, so he went to Harvard. Right? Well, they, they, <laughs> they played like in Harvard Square. Oh yeah, and, no, and and they were in Boston. He's not originally from Boston, Rick Ocasek, but he uh, they. They were they were considered a Boston group. I thought Weezer had some sort of Nebraska connection. Uh, just because of the name, or <laughs> Weezer is that why? No, Weezer I sounds don't. Nebraskan. No, I think they're. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they're off from. Rivers Cuomo, I think, is originally from New York, but he. Uh, I'm not sure where they got formed. Now that you, you know, now that I'm on the spot, and <laughs> his life, we'll have to I, Google that. I, I'm not really sure. I know he spent some time at Harvard, but uh, good question. I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> I just thought there was. I thought for some reason I thought there was a Nebraska connection. Maybe because they were they played at the what they're at Maha or oh yeah, yeah oh they did yeah they played at Maha. Maha. They've, they've been here a few times. I've seen them a couple times here in in Omaha. So it's good. Weezer, not the Cars. Cars Cars have not well. They may have played here, but long before I was here, I didn't see them live. Unfortunately, I yeah. So, had, I well, I think I think it would be like, if Rick Ocasio had heard the. Had heard Weezer in 1978. You know, what would he think of that sound? Would he would he be recognized it as this is? I think he would have loved it. I think he would have said, "I want to." That's what I want to record. That's what I want to record. And you know, twenty not quite twenty years later, he did. Well, th- this kind of gets so right. And the reason <laughs> I understood he goes, he, he's doing that instead of playing was that he hates he hates touring. Yeah, and so yeah. that was part of my reason of wanting to ask that that earlier question was was that. I mean, he was on the. He just didn't like being on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. And when you listen, as I listen to his creative process, it sounds like he didn't do well with having a strut. Like if you if you asked him to work on commission, he didn't like that. He when he got creative, he couldn't really control. Like he knew about once or twice a year he could just write, but he couldn't really control when that was. was you know, what, right. like, like he had yeah. to get inspired and then he could sit down and, and just write. Mm-hmm. And being on tour seemed to really drain him when he was on tour all the time. And I, I remember in one interview he talked about, like, he liked the European touring where yeah. you just tour for two weeks, you take mm-hmm. a break, and you go out and tour for another two weeks or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but touring for months on end across the United States or doing one of these worldwide tours, uh, he didn't like that at all. Yeah. And he really, where he found his most creativity was writing. Or at least that was sort of my mm-hmm. my take on the, on the interviews. Yeah. Well, who... My question on the writing part is he talks about how much he loves writing. And he, he mentioned that he's not really an English major or, or he, he mentioned that he, he 
he didn't necessarily study it, but who who did he study? Like who was his inspir? Who did he read and want to write like? Like when mm-hmm. he read Hemingway, it was like oh yeah, I, I like the I like these short, simple, mm-hmm. um, but very powerful statements. Mm-hmm. What what was his like? Who were his? Men- I say mentor is probably the wrong word, but who were his? idols or the folk the people he looked up to in writing that that especially in 1978 as he's he's been doing this for seven eight years now who did he really look to as writers and seek to emulate as as mm-hmm. as, a, as a songwriter uh, and and learn from i just didn't i don't think i heard anyone asked that question to him mm-hmm. um or at least they they kind of talked a little bit about how much he likes to song like they I think a lot of people find it odd that he didn't like to tour, mm-hmm. but I don't. I didn't hear anybody really ask them or ask him about. Yeah, what is writing? Yeah, talk about more about his writing. I mean, yeah. if he loves it so much, what what you know? Who who are his writing idols? Mm-hmm. Who, who are those? Who are those authors and song? Not necessarily author, but, you know, the songwriters. Yeah, it could that, be in the musical. In the music, be, yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting too because he uh, the one that I can remember mentioning in one of the. Uh, interviews and didn't really mention him as a, a mentor, but just mentioned somebody that also is a great performer, songwriter, and incidentally great music producer as well, Nick Lowe, um, who was right around this time was was with uh, was playing in groups, was doing solo work. He was somewhat big around this time as well. Primarily, a lot of his music was getting sung by people like Elvis Costello, which kind of made him. Made him more famous, perhaps in his own his own recordings in a lot of cases, at least in the U.S. But you know, compared with Nick Lowe, and I, I big Nick Lowe fan as well. Um, he's more his music is somewhat similar. You know, the the music part of it, it's um, so it's similar in the sense that it's it's kind of simpler music. It's not maybe as complex as you might get with some of the other groups around there. But it it but his lyrics are. Lyrics are, are in general, I, I I think a lot more complex. I mean, I always like to pat Nick Lowe on the back as the only guy who I think has ever rhymed um, bona fide and coincide. In there you a song. go. I, cruel, cruel to be kind, of course. You know, that's a good. Same I love is bona fide, but that don't coincide. Oh my gosh! Wow. I mean, that's. That's he guy must have gone to you know Oxford or something to come up with that. That's that's hard. That's pretty good, <laughs> you know. And not that all his lyrics are like that, but his lyrics are a little more complicated than I think Rick Ocasek. And that's not an insult. Uh, it's just I mean, it's simple. It's just simpler lyrics. I mean, nothing wrong with simple lyrics. Well, Weezer, like Weezer's pretty simple lyrics. Yeah, well, Iggy Pop's you know, kind of some yeah, Iggy Pop's pretty simple. Simple, you know, but but hey, you got to work really really hard. hard. Yeah, you gotta you work, know. the simpler, the harder you got to work on. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like as you do it. So, yeah. so what? I think we're on question five. Oh, we're on another question here. Well, uh, you, we talked about his production. As long as we're, you know, I, I mentioned that I had another question about his music production, and um, my other question is that some of the, you know, we talked about his, the production he did for Weezer, and I see some of the, you know, he he really produced records for quite a few different groups. Uh, Rick Ocasek did. And um, some of them, I can see the music similarities, such as Weezer, uh, Suicide, 
saw you know a lot of carryover from cars in in suicide in Romeo Void saw a lot of carryover. Um, some of them, it's like this is this is the sort of thing I, I the cars never did. I mean, this is either hardcore punk or it's really kind of emerging pop or it's really specialty, such as uh, No Doubt. I didn't see him as a producer of Christina Aguilera at any point. <laughs> That's, was, would have, that was kind of a surprise to me. Uh, Black 47. Very, you know, kind of uh, technically, I guess, an Irish punk group, but really emphasis on the Irish. Um, not something I would have expected. Uh, Bad Religion. Hardcore punk. Yeah. Didn't necessarily see that coming out of Rick Ocasek. So, how, you know, how'd that, how'd that happen? How'd I remember that him... him <laughs> Him talking a little bit about, like that he found, like as a producer, he mentioned mm-hmm. like he he liked to let the artist um, play their sound and just kind of like take a step back mm-hmm. and just you know, be able to apply, be able to give us experience, but really let their sound come through. Uh, mm-hmm. I I you know that I wonder as you mentioned that. You know, how does that relate back to his experience back in 78? Because you think about, like, what like what was, how much of, you know, having that producer that worked with Queen, mm-hmm. you know, how much did their, did his, the sound he wanted to produce, was he able to actually produce? Like, like, you know, did he take the lesson the way he felt from 78? Mm-hmm. Now he's producing, no doubt. And he's mm-hmm. like, all right, I need to let this artist have their voice because when I was in the same position, like, right. like yeah. I felt mm-hmm. like I, you know, yeah, like, I wouldn't have wanted somebody coming in telling me how to, how to right, do right, this, right, how know, to sound. Yeah. And right. that kind of yeah, goes yeah, back yeah, to that earlier, quite like I think that earlier question of, you know, does that how, like if you asked him in 78, you know, how he was feeling on, on the pr- production side or, you know, how mm-hmm. he felt as an artist, um, uh, working with someone like that, then how does that translate later on in life? What, are those two things end up being connected mm-hmm. where he's, he's like, okay, I'm going to produce because I want, I don't want artists to go through this experience that, that we had, mm-hmm. or was it a, the opposite where he had such a good experience, a great experience. Great like, experience and he's like, I'm going to do the same thing for you gonna, because I have yeah, a, I'm going to bring up know, these other bands. That helped me out. I'm going to help you out. Yeah. So what, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think anyone's ever. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't really hear that question out there. Yeah, and like how, like his, uh, he's very stoic in a lot of interviews, but you don't, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I didn't get, I don't think I ever got like it was he, like was it a positive experience? Mm-hmm. And now he, it yeah. seemed like when he was working with No Doubt and what out, he mm-hmm. seemed to really enjoy it. Oh but yeah, I that, think he really enjoyed production. Yeah, yeah, maybe more than a lot of the other stuff he did. I, yeah, I think so, he really was at heart a producer. Yeah. Is is that the dad that's a good dad because he was abused as a child, or is that the dad that's a good dad because his dad's a good dad? <laughs> he, had, he had a great dad. Yeah. yeah, and so which like I think that's really yeah. You know, that was, that's kind that was of a good question. question. Good question, and and you know if if it was that he wanted to, I mean, for whatever reason, he wanted to let the artist uh, pursue their own voice, then uh, that really shows his versatility as a producer, uh, his skill as a producer, I think, and his versatility. Because, you know, you think about a lot of producers of, to some extent, that era, but I'm thinking even a little earlier, uh, Phil Spector comes to mind. I mean, you could you could hear any group that he produced, and within a few seconds, it's say, yeah, it's Phil Spector. 
I mean, you just it, it's got this whatever they sounded like. It sounds like Phil Spector. Um, that, not true of Rick Ocasek. You could you know, some of these groups sound wildly different. Uh, yeah, some sound very similar to the Cars that we mentioned, but most really don't sound like the Cars. So uh, it's really a testament to his his versatility as a producer. I would say. Yeah, that's a good question. This one, so so this your question was on how much like I think part of your question there has the essence of. How much of was work acoustic like thinking through the, these things, or how much mm-hmm. did this happen serendipitously? Right. So okay, so on the on the debut album, the first three songs mm-hmm. and the Night Spots caught, podcast caught mm-hmm. this was they're three minutes forty four seconds. Three songs are all three minutes forty four seconds. Is there some now? This I got to put my conspiracy hat Ooh, on here. Wow. Is there some sort of was that? Was there was that design? Was that methodical? Oh, it's going to be three minutes forty four seconds. I mean, if you add four four together, you get eight. You add three to that, you get eleven, mm-hmm. and then eleven yeah. together makes two, and that's a perfect divider. Is no, that what? No, I no. got it. I'm gonna I'm gonna put my big conspiracy hat on here. Three, you got four, eleven, four. and you got three of them, so you got thirty three. It's a Masonic. See, uh huh. Thirty third degree Mason. Thirty third degree uh-huh. Mason. Is that uh-huh. what it is? Yeah. yeah. So that's the. So yeah. what, was there some? Was there some rhyme or reason for it to be? I mean, I'm just making that, that up, up, by the way. I, yeah, it was three forty four. But okay. Like if you, if you go to the three hundred forty fourth page of some book or, uh, you know, it's it's you know Matthew three dot forty four. I got what, what's. You know, it, it could be something really simple, like they had a mu- kind of a music format. Because yeah. those first three songs really kind of became their better known, some of their better known songs early on in their in their career. Um, they kind of had a music format that they used for a lot of their songs, and it wound up being about the same length <laughs> for every song. And you know, so that could be why they're all the same. Now, you know, three minutes exactly, three minutes and forty four seconds, three in a row. It's unusual. Um, but it could it could just be that was that was their formulaic song uh, at that time. Yeah. Yeah. So made longer ones later, of course, but, but still, I mean, you think about the editing process and stuff mm-hmm. where you, where it, you know, we had a bad stream there for a minute, but I think we're back. Oh. Um, but it, it cut it off at three forty four. See, just, see, we had a bad stream because I said something about the Masons, right? Okay. Uh, oh, just, you know, Oh, that is a little bit freaky. See, everything was fine till I said that. Uh-huh. uh-huh. This is Yeah. And you went to what? So oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and well, the Jesuits. So take your pick. It's the Masons or the Jesuits. Next Columbus, yeah. The yeah. Jesuits, uh, you know, run a lot of law schools. So, yeah. And we, uh, there are a lot of Jesuit secrets that uh, I know, of course, all the Jesuit secrets, but I can't tell you what those are because I don't, you know, know them. Well, I mean, because they're. <laughs> It, well, I mean, I mean, if you think about like you have three songs at three forty-four. That is, it's just that's unusual. It that is, is unusual. That is unusual. Uh, that's not don't you don't see that very often. Yeah, what are the, name the three songs? I know one of them is just what I need. Well, it's good times. It's good times. Oh, roll. roll. Okay. Yeah, good times. Roll. My best friend's girl and just what I needed. And again, those were their three big hits. I, I'm thinking maybe it's something really simple, like they had a formula for like what this is going to be a hit song, and they just did it. And they put them all together on the. It's the inner sleeve you know, on the album. First three songs. 
Because those are three huge hits for them. Yeah. Well, the whole album, I mean, this, that whole album ends up being... Oh, the album was a big hit. Yeah. yeah well, I, I mean, mean it, like, not, I mean, not even really 19... We, like this album was on those charts for 139 weeks. Yeah, it's it's uh, even it's in the the music is in Hollywood movies. So mm-hmm. and now you hear it in commercials. It's just so I can. Yeah. So yeah, but so did what did 344? So, so was there a rhyme or reason to it? Was there some numerology? Did you have someone in the band that mm-hmm. was like this needs to be this long for good luck? I don't know. Or was it just happenstance? I mean, some things just happen because of happenstance. But right. like you said, yeah. I think there is, like, you don't see, like, the if you go look at the door songs, you have an eight-minute song mm-hmm. in the early, you know, if you look at the early 60s and how long these yeah. songs are. So by this time, 78 people are starting to realize, okay, if you play it on the radio, there needs to be about this long. But, so that, but three and a half minutes is about yeah. what you got. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, so did that sort it. of drive it? And then all of a sudden you're now at three. And like you said, okay, I've got to. I'm going to edit mm-hmm. these songs, and you end up just editing them all at 344. Yeah. So, okay, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll kind of buy that. Well, and, and you know, you're talking about their music being all kinds of places. Uh, I, I got to mention here, uh, not only was there music in, you know, movies and various other commercials and various places uh, covered by groups like Nirvana. Nirvana covered My Best Friend's Girl. I actually did a pretty good, pretty, yeah. pretty good cover of it, you know. Not only all that. But their music actually appeared on my telephone answering machine in the 1980s. Now, if you're under 50, you probably don't know that there was a time where you actually needed a physical machine to get to answer your telephone. It was a separate machine from the phone, and you plugged it up to the phone, and calls would come in, and then they would route to the machine. It was through the miracle of electricity. This was pretty <laughs> pretty high tech at the, at the time, so. You know, and they would have these outgoing messages, usually very generic. Most people would say, hey, please leave your name and a number. I, that, that part really hasn't changed too much over the years. But there were these, these little tapes, and, and you'd record an outgoing message. Well, I used the generic one for a long time. But then I thought, you know what, I'm really not a generic kind of guy. I'm going to customize this thing. Significant. So what did you put on there? Well, I started using music. I'd use all kinds of different music. I would put music as a background while I was talking. Sometimes I'd use the music as a joke. I'd sometimes use sound effects. I did one where... Like you played the music and then was recording? Oh, I'd play it and then it was... Like you're, you had to play it through like earphones on a Walkman into this little tiny condenser mic and talk into it while you were doing it. Okay. So you, each one, you'd have to record. So how did you do it for the cars? You'd have to record it like nine, ten times to get it right, because it, that's, you know, yeah, it was hard. And I, I did one that was all sound effects. I had this uh, little gunshot producing sound effect thing, and it did machine guns and shotguns, and so I, I did one where I sounded like I was in a shootout. You know, I used to do different, because, you know, regular messages got boring. Well, for the cars, I used uh, just what I needed, and... Um, I, I kind of talked along with the lyrics. I said, uh, as I recall, this is a long time ago, but as I recall, I said, uh, I don't mind you calling me and wasting all your time <laughs> because when it comes down to it, you know that it's your dime. Yeah. And so you and just sang this. Yeah. Did right. you put any music behind it? Or is oh, it just it, you no, but it, the car is just what I needed. It was behind it. Okay. And I was kind of talking over, over uh, Rick Ocasek on there. Um, and then just said, you know, leave leave a number, and then and I get when I got to the end of what I was saying, then it went into the da 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 da, you know, the the in between yeah. the verses. I kind of remember that, like when the answer machines came out, and everyone, and then 
everyone would try to come up with something uh, clever to put yeah. on their, oh, on their yeah. home answering machine. Mm-hmm. You don't have that today because nobody leaves messages anymore. Right, yeah, because you, you don't want to make phone calls. You know? right. And i, I got to say, some of them were pretty funny. I did a rap one based on the Super Bowl shuffle that was did, did you Do funny. you remember this rap? Uh, I remember some of it, but it's. I think we need to hear this rap. Maybe it's maybe for another. Well, no, I, I think maybe. we need to do you know um, this rap. It was. It was. Um, I don't remember a lot of it, uh, but I, I. It was kind of a. It was a time period where rap was. You don't need to explain the time period of rap. We just want to hear the rap. <laughs> well, I. I don't know. You know, we. I might get YouTube in trouble if I. I don't think so. I do this. this is like off. But I, I gotta say they weren't they weren't all hits. They weren't all hits. I literally I got a message one time, an incoming message, where I think we want to hear the rap. This lady said, well, "Just let me finish the story here, then maybe we'll." But this lady said, um, "Look, I you know you don't know me. I don't know you. I dialed the wrong number and I got this. But I just gotta tell you that is the stupidest message I've ever heard. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> you got a reaction. You at least I, got a reaction. You know, so they weren't all hits, uh, but." Some of them were. I think the cars was a big hit, and you know some of the others, including well the gunshots. I got a lot of nice comments on the gunshots. I sometimes people would like the mess. Their message was starting. I just hear laughter. They said, "Oh gosh," you know. <laughs> so, but anyway, but I digress. So, wait, give us a little taste of this this rap. Oh, the rap. Um, I'm trying to remember what. It, um, something about. Uh, <coughs> do I like rap? Are you kidding, Joe? I write stupid lyrics and I make big dough. There we go. Um, you gotta be on one. Uh, you be on the uh, rap battle. And and something about rap is great. You can be sexy and still be eighty pounds overweight. There's a time where most of the rap artists were pretty heavy at that. This I mean, this is all completely changed. This is I'm, done, I'm talking probably mid to late eighties. So, talking to you, Steve Dog. World. You're talking to you, <laughs> Steve Alloy. Yeah, I mean, you look back at some of the. You look back at some of the rap artists. The, mid to late 80s and you know there were they were a little heavier maybe than some of the rap artists today like run dmc yeah okay right yeah yeah so you know nothing against rap but it was one of the funnier ones i thought and it did it, it got some good reactions there we go i mean I, yeah, there's a whole art lost of answering machine there is uh, you know because you can't do that with like with texting what what's the equivalent there is no equivalent you can just have a weird profile maybe which some would say I do. Well, is the dick pic the the current version of the uh, of that? Like, oh, you're trying to be shocking. Wow. Okay, you you've done it. That you're would, it. shocking. You know, it's hard to do an audio dick pic. To, no, you know, but I'm saying like really a text the, messaging. Oh, that would oh be, yeah, like, with, is a photo, that, yeah. with a say photo. the audio dick. What would the audio dick pic? The, maybe well, the, the rap. Maybe the zipper. No, <laughs> I'm saying the rap was like people are are expecting yeah. like the leave a message and all of a sudden they're exposed to. <laughs> oh yeah, they suddenly get rapped. <laughs> they yeah. suddenly get, get you rapping, and it was like what? That's what yeah, the was, lady's reaction was, right? One that was the one was funny, thing yeah. ever. I mean, at first people said, you know, hey, what well, you know, you don't need music, but I I did that for several years, and then I just kind of dropped it. And literally, this friend of mine called when they left a message saying, "Hey, what? No gunshots? No music? No That's right. no <laughs> rhymes? What? I, what is this? I, I call you for entertainment, dude. I, wait, I, don't, I don't want to talk to you. Click. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> so, that's like your friend that's been sending you know, yeah. god awful texts forever. Then all of a sudden, you stop receiving them. You're like, part of you's glad that you haven't received mm-hmm. today's you know message mm-hmm. or whatever. But then part of you's like, I wonder if they're sick. Mm-hmm. Like something yeah. happened. That's probably they're wondering. That's like, <laughs> and I think I'm, I'm pretty sure the statute of limitations has really run on any copyright infringement that I might have done. Uh, 
Plus, it was for comedic purposes only, and I did do a... Um, you modified? I modified it significantly. Well, there's so, volume to clear. And I didn't use the entire... I used a small excerpt, that, and I used the entire piece. So I think, remember. you know, while I'm not a patent copyright attorney, I think, I, I think I'm okay. Well, I think... We, <laughs> back on topic. I think I'm trying to... Like, one, I think... I was on question six. I don't think I was on question five. You started with question one, so I've been on question six. So I think we're on question mm. seven. Okay. Oh, so it's my question again? Yeah. Oh, yes. I, I think right. I had that one. Okay. Um, 344. You conspiracy know, theory. Mine oh. was the conspiracy theory on 344. Oh, okay. That's right. That's right. And that led to all this, the answer yes. machine thing. Which, yes. Which I think maybe I should get credit for a question for that. But it, but I digress. Maybe later you can credit me if I don't get You, you get questions. a point. You'll get a yeah, yeah, yeah. bonus point. But first, we have to get what, to ten. No, there are my questions. Point. Well, no, if we see, I won't. If we get to ten, I don't need a bonus point. Then I'd get. If we get to nine, I'd say, "Hey, I want to. I want that bonus point." I'm sure not what the question <laughs> <You> know, was. <laughs> now I want the good ten. And you only gave us 11, a little bit right? of hip hop, so it was, I feel yeah. like like you're hesitant to sing the hip hop song. So I'm thinking that. Well, I, don't, right. I don't really do hip hop that well. I didn't really in the message either. I kind of talked it. That's a good question, sir. But I do have a question. <laughs> I do have a question. And it's one of those alternative history what-if questions that I, I love to throw out. Um, and sometimes I throw them out, and sometimes they get thrown out, literally thrown into the trash. But this one, you know, the, the car is recorded very successfully for about 10 years, give or take. And, um, and then took like a 25-year break. And then actually did an album again. Uh, ben Orr had unfortunately died by the time they did their later album, but uh, the rest of the surviving four did an album, you know, in 2011 or something like that. So, I mean, not too long ago. Um, but uh, this alternative history question, what if you guys had just kept recording? Like the Rolling Stones, like, you know, well, there aren't a ton of groups that have recorded for 25 years, but like the Rolling Stones, let's say, let's use them as an example. What if, I mean, they've been recording together with a lot of the same personnel. They've had a few changes, but Mostly the same personnel for well, 55 years. I mean, what if you guys had kept recording those 25 years that you didn't? What would your music have looked like? What, what would have it taken for the <clears throat> band to keep together, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah. like, in your alternative history question, mm-hmm. I think we have to identify... So, like, Rick Acosta says he doesn't like touring. Maybe some sure. of the other band members don't like it either mm-hmm. because it's just he doesn't get a chance to songwrite. So you'd have to... What would have... If you go back to seventy eight and then on, what what would have had to change? Like, would, mm-hmm. if you change their touring schedule, like what? How do you enter that universe? Is my you know what I wonder? I, I wonder what would have it, had it to might change. All, it might like all if come they back were in to Europe. Touring. Yeah, it might all come back to touring because they really they still got along. You know, they didn't break up because they were, you know, they hated each other or because one of them married Yoko or whatever. You know, right. <laughs> reasons different groups break up, but. If they, so if we, they were still in touch. They still they worked on each other's solo albums. I mean, they were still kind of, you know, friends and working together. So I think it probably did come down to touring. Yeah, if just, they uh, just scaled back the touring just schedule. did not like the tour. What if you had a better bus? Like, what if you, you know what I mean? What if the buses were just <laughs> I don't know better. if it was the bus, really, was the way I didn't like touring. But a better bus would help. Uh, you know, a bus with... So, like, less schedule, better bus. Like, I mean, like, a really... Bus with, like, free Wi-Fi, you know? That's... Well, kind of, like, what if you... What if I mean, you... I think the free Wi-Fi would have been a big thing. Like, Air Force the 90s, One. that would have I, been... Like, we, the president's on Air Force One. He can still do presidential stuff. 
Yeah. You, just think, you know, he's got time to write. It's quiet. Mm-hmm. You got full communication to everything out there. I mean, if you had, if the doors what, had Air Force do? One. And what does he do? He gets on Twitter, you know. You do anything in the world you, you want to do, and he gets on Twitter. That's yes, right yes, that is true. Or, yeah. <laughs> but, but I digress. You can check out Steve Alloy's <laughs> Facebook page. Yeah, for, please for, do. For yeah. all those types of questions. <laughs> the, 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 so what is the, what would it have taken if, if the cars had Air Force One or a lower mm-hmm. touring schedule? You know, how do you enter that universe where they're around for 25 years? Well, and, and if Rick Ocasek had had, had Air Force One, would we have invaded Iraq? Probably not. See, my question isn't if he I was president. I it was just oh, that well, how, if he how would he have Air Force Air, One if he's not president? I'm just saying he had an aircraft similar to Air Force oh, One. So like the Air Force 1.1. I mean, there's more than one Air Force One, right? If he, he, you got if Air he Force has, Two that that other schmuck rides around in. That, there, there, yeah. No, there's multiple aircraft. They just become Air Force One oh, with Air, presidents oh, okay. on it. I see what you mean. Yeah. So like, no, if, they, yeah. if, if he had if he had that. Aircraft, and they could. You know, they have all the calm capabilities. They, mm-hmm. you know, it's quiet when he's up there. Um, you know, effectively, mm-hmm. you can live at home. Like they had a giant blimp, like like the Zeppelins. So maybe in this universe, the Zeppelins mm-hmm. still around, and they have these giant Zeppelins that they can that you can live in and travel across the country. Would would the doors? Be be able to that or way the you cars can, or the cars yeah. would the cars be the car doors right <laughs> sorry, car, the car they're door. all linked together the would they be able to would he I mean does that give you you know lower touring schedule and mm-hmm. and now you're you're with family because they're living with you in your zeppelin yeah well maybe maybe because he he did he did mention the touring uh, he I got divorced and he, the touring kind of ran him through one family so right and that so, that was. That was one. Of, that was really why he didn't like the tour, um, but I, you know, maybe if he had had the entire family on a zeppelin, you know what? I bet if he had had the entire family on a zeppelin and the other members, I mean, how do you? Well, and they'd have their own zeppelins, right? Because they'd have families. The place would be pretty crowded if everybody had their whole family on one zeppelin. You'd need like five zeppelins. For I was thinking five. a big zeppelin. I'm thinking. Oh, that's really? Oh, you like? I'm thinking a, like an ocean liner monster size. zeppelin. Wow. That's well, and I think that could have happened, but but two problems. Number one, just two words, Lakehurst, New Jersey. That's three words, I guess, but uh, the Hindenburg, you know. <laughs> so that, there'd be that problem. But then number two, I bet if they were all on a big, a big blimp, <laughs> that they would have stayed together, they would have kept recording, and we would never have invaded Iraq, but we would have sent blimps over. Why wouldn't we have... I mean, you're, you're saying in this universe, so, if, so it really goes back to if Hindenburg didn't happen, mm-hmm. um, which was I mean, partly, that's a, they just needed to avoid the power lines, right? Right. And so if Hindenburg yeah, had power happen, lines and compressed gas usually. Well, it was, it was, I mean, it's just, it was really the, my understanding was even the, the hydrogen was mm-hmm. the, um, just the cloth material caught on fire. Mm-hmm. But the, but if you if you had prevented that, mm-hmm. the cars may have st- stayed together. I think yeah. that's an interesting. Yeah. I think that's. An I think if the Hindenburg idea. had not burned at Lakehurst, New Jersey, in 1937, long before any of them were born, that the cars would have kept recording. And because you've been my, able that's to my tour, firm belief. yes, you've been able to tour on a more leisure schedule and yeah. have oh, a yeah. travel mechanism that because because allowed you to be able to write. And here's why: because if the Hindenburg hadn't burned. 
people would have kept riding in those things, right? They wouldn't have, like, suddenly... Well, they were going to be big. They were going to be huge. One of these things blows up and kills dozens of people, and people don't want to ride in it all of a sudden. Oh, go figure, right? Yeah, but airplanes... But if that hadn't happened, that would they would have kept riding in them. Right, and they've gotten bigger and bigger. And they would have gotten bigger, and then they would have had one that would have fit all the families of the cars. That's a, so that's, there you go. That's yeah. where I think no, the essence it. of the that's question exactly. takes... Right. As it ta- as exactly. Or, so it all comes like, down like, to, to Lakehurst, New Jersey. Power lines in Lakehurst, New Jersey are why they didn't record. Wow. Wow. You seem skeptical. You know, no, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm really mad at New Jersey right now. I just, why, you know, you've a lot of, reasons. of 25 years of, of good music, you know? Where they have stuck together. I think it's a good question. I think, yeah. you know, what would it have taken from yeah. this stuck together? I think, I, I think, I think mm-hmm. that's plausible. I think the Hindenburg accident may have been the, like, I, I, just what mode of transportation of, because both air travel in 78, I mean, air travel wasn't horrendous, but it's, you're still, like, isolated. If you're mm-hmm. in a Greyhound bus, it's, I mean, you can only get so big on a, on a, on the road. Um, mm-hmm. Locomotives, you can get bigger, but, I mean, effectively, and, blimps are boats in the sky. And, and I bet when the Hindenburg burned in 1937, Young Mr. Okasic, or Okasic, Rick's dad, was sitting by the radio listening. He was probably like 12 years old. <laughs> was sitting by the radio listening saying, wow, now my son's going to have his rock and roll career cut short. I don't know if that would have happened. I, you I'm think that would sure have that happened. That, that, yeah. You think he had that? There's a little that, kid in Baltimore. He was in Baltimore. From Baltimore. He had a premonition. If, yeah, you think, know, if you think he has that premonition, then... Probably the, in the Inner Harbor. The, the area, three, you know? Then I have to go back to the 344, and the 344 must mean mm-hmm. something besides just being a random fact. 344 is the, the street no, address no, they had at Fells Point in Baltimore. when they. I don't know if we have any Baltimore people watching, but... Uh, You're just making this up now. No, I, I, no I, you, go, you go there. You go to the Inner Harbor, you take a right, Fells Point's over the other side of the water, and you just, yeah, go check it out. It's 344. And a little plaque, you know, Rick Okasik's Oca- dad realized his son's rock and roll career was going to be cut short here in 1937 in this, on this site. They got, they got Babe Ruth's house. It's kind of the I other I think way. we had a good yeah, track. Yeah, now you've taken yeah, it no. somewhere. No. I think we got a lot, a lot of monuments to Baltimore. Mon- Baltimore. There's, there's the, the Star Spangled Banner, you know, Fort McHenry. A lot of stuff to see. You visit Baltimore. It's really Maybe a, it's a place. Maybe this alternate like Baltimore. Let's go to question eight. Nice place. Uh, you talk, we talked a little bit there about mm-hmm. Ben Orr, and you talked, like we mentioned, you know, he's mm-hmm. like Ben Orr, um, he, he's not on that, that later album. Right. I, yeah. I was fascinated listening to Rikasik on how he, when he talked about, like, how he met him, because there's mm-hmm. a question of, of, like, what was it that he liked about him, or, or, and he says, you know, I liked his voice, and it's very mm-hmm. melodic. Uh, and, and I he was a very good singer. Yeah, yeah. And he said, when I heard him, I was like, man, that's a good singer. I like to work with them. And like two days later, they're in a band together. Mm-hmm. Uh, is the way the story goes. And and really, the the most I the most I heard Rick say was like, I just like I liked his voice. It was melodic, um, and that's what I liked about about Ben Orr. Um, but was that it? I mean, was it just that? I mean, there's other people. There's other there are other singers in Boston with melodic voices uh, that that um, but you didn't end up working with them. Yeah, name two. <laughs> name two. I'm guessing. Name two, 
Boston singers with melodic like voices. voices. I from 1970. Something like Journey. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking most of the Boston singers don't have really what most people so you're melodic thinking voices. voices. So I'm you're thinking, thinking Journey. I'm thinking who else we got? Jay oh, Giles. Wow. Jay Giles. Okay, there's a real melodic singer. <laughs> I'm just thinking <laughs> like the, the, indie the late band. Jay Giles. I'm sorry, you know, but I, I was thinking on the indie band scene, like there'd be multiple singers. But you're saying it sounds like it. I don't. We're it sounds like you're dissing Boston right now. It sounds no, like you're saying no, it, how, how many people are in Boston? About? I Boston. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. It's nine digits. I somewhere. I don't know. So, yeah, it's got like a couple that. million people. In my Boston. sister actually is not too far from Boston. We're so we talking you, about my you're sister. Saying, the Doors one. Remember, you're saying out of a million. Let's let's just say Boston, 1978, has mm-hmm. one million people. Let's say you're yeah. saying out of a million people in Boston, there's only one with a melodic voice. No, I'm saying there probably are more, but I'm I'm betting that you can't name them. Well, no, I, I, I'll name <laughs> some I'm right betting. now. I'm betting there are quite there a few. There was Jim. There was John. There was Jane. Alice. Uh-huh. The, that's yeah, a few. Alice, Alice lived at 344 Adams. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> you watch. Right? I'd say. Right around the Boston Common. But you don't think there was that many mm-hmm. people with melodic voices out of Boston? That's well, what I think. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I think there are. But I think when you think of Boston, um, think of Boston rock and roll. I think you just need, like, if you, if you don't think Boston can sing, I think you just need to put it out there. No, and say I, think, it. I think Boston can sing. But I'm, I'm thinking when you think of Boston rock and roll groups, it's not so much the singing that comes to mind. So you're it's, saying it's the, now uh, that Boston can't sing. I think you just the, need to put it no, out. No, I think it's more the attitude. It's more right. the rock. You, like this, going back, the Standells, the um, you know Journey. Uh, it's more you know more the energy, more the Jay Giles. Uh, who else? Who else is big Boston? Um, gosh, there are a bunch. There are quite a few. They came out of Boston. Quite a few groups, and they can sing. I'm not saying anything bad. I like Boston. Oh my gosh! Wow. No, I'm just saying you can't name the good singers in Boston. I just did. Oh, Jim, Alice. Yeah, Ricky, Tommy. Exactly. <laughs> right. It was so, like, uh, you, you, did you do like, uh, what was it, Romper Room when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. Where you had those little, this lady would stand in front of the, it was a kid's show, you know. And she'd put on these binoculars, or she'd take out these fake binoculars, and she'd get in front of the camera and say, I see Timmy and Johnny and Ricky and of course somewhere in the audience. This went to like multiple cities. There was somebody named Timmy and Johnny and whatever. Uh, so the kid would say, "Wow, she can see me." Well, that's my point. And, and you're kind of doing a Miss Francis here. Sure, you're, you're doing, but you're there's doing the a million thing. people in Boston. Let's say that, let's go for a million people in '78. I'm just saying there may have been multiple melodic singers out there. Mm-hmm. My question would have been, what else was it about Ben Orr that? That kind of said, "Hey, I want to work with this person," but mm-hmm. you well, may be right. You're, what, what I think your point is is there may not have been a lot of melodic singers oh, in Boston. Oh, and now, were, now who's this in Boston? No, I'm not. I am taking what you had said. Here, yeah. I don't back away from it. I think you just need to own it. Like if you're saying they can't sing in Boston, then I, I think the question is still. I think that you know, like. I guess my question becomes muted mute at that point is that Ben was the only other melodic singer <laughs> that was available in all of Boston. Right. That, that would have been melodic, but he, uh, he did really have a great voice as he showed he in quite a few. And so drive is probably his most famous singing, but he sang on a lot of songs. Yeah. Of he songs, a, yeah. Yes. And it's a, lot, a lot of people can't, for whatever reason, say they can't tell the difference between, between, uh, Rick McCoskey mm-hmm. and, uh, Ben or the, 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 yeah, he, I mean, it was, it was a little smoother. I, I would right. Say. 
Yeah, I mean, I deeper voice. It's, it's a slight difference, but it's he's a little he's a little smoother, a little less geeky. <laughs> yeah, really a little little geeky in the voice. Ben, not so much geeky. But like, what else drew him to Ben? And, and so I may be off on this. Like, if you're, because mm-hmm. my assumption was that there have been multiple people with good voices mm-hmm. that you could have got in there. So if if that is a true assumption, then what else drew him to Ben? Or yeah. If the assumption, if my assumption is wrong and you are correct that Boston can't sing, then then I I think that's I think my question becomes there's, mute. There's a trail. There's a chain going on the bottom. Like I am not saying Boston can't sing. I think you did. I think <clears throat> I think well, there there are two two things I would say okay. as to what else what else might have been a reason that he wanted to work with Ben Orr. Uh, one is I mean, Boston might agree, like, hey, we can't sing. Well, one is we got this whole thirty-three thing, so maybe Benor gave him the Masonic handshake. But let's so, say that's not true. Let's say you, have, you have to draw in like how Rick Ocasek is. We we haven't talked at all like how Rick Ocasek would have been a, tied into. Well, and he's not gonna. We need to do like a whole conspiracy and show. He's not gonna and talk, talk about Raymond Zarek, um, Jimi Hendrix. And if, if we're going to do, we, if we're going to talk we conspiracies, we just need to do a conspiracy. You know, show. actually, there is a great book that I'll, I'll mention here in a minute that that would be if we want to well, do that, conspiracy. But in this, but in this one in particular, on <laughs> there is a great what book drew that Rick to Ben. It was really the <clears throat> essence of my question. Mm-hmm. And I would say the thing that drew him not the not the handshake uh, with any singer. I, I I really think it's part voice. I mean, obviously, you have to have a good voice, but I think it's also presentation. And I think he probably saw Ben Orr had great presentation. And so he goes, hey, that's the singer. I mean, because... Like he's an attractive dude. He's you like, can this get, guy would be... I mean, a lot... Of, I mean, you listen to rock and roll. I mean, you don't need... You don't need to be, you know... It's charismatic. The greatest singer in the world to, to sing rock and roll. I mean, you know, some of the great rock singers aren't great singers, really. But they're... They are great presenters. Show they're great. Yeah, they... Show they, they present well. They're what... Frank Sinatra one time referred to them as entertainment singers. He said, you, you, they asked him who his favorite singer was. So I, Do you mean voice or entertainment? <laughs> it's, a, it's a different answer, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I think Ben Orr certainly had a good voice too, but he, he probably had a presentation maybe that a lot of others didn't. Yeah, and so that would be kind of the thing I'd be interested to just mm-hmm. ask, you know, what were what was it that you saw when you met Ben? And obviously they, I mean, they, they stayed together and and performed very. I mean, there was a good fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what was it that that you really saw? Kind of, inter- I think, would be an interesting question or mm-hmm. just something to dig into. And I think your point's good. And the point that hey, maybe Boston can't sing. I think that's that's valid. I didn't, but I mean, I think in terms of challenging core assumptions, no, I think it's a good idea to challenge core assumptions because if your bottom line assumptions inaccurate, then your the whole premise is. Is thrown out. That brings us to question nine. Question nine. Yes. Um, well, this is where this is the point in the show where I would ask for that extra credit. Because <laughs> I don't know that I really have another question. I mean, I think um, as long as we're counting discussion points as questions, um, I guess I could I could talk about. Um, you know, we'd mentioned maybe well, that Rivers Cuomo is well, Rivers Cuomo of the '90s. Uh, what if we talk about Cassidy? early Rick Ocasek, like like when he's growing up with his and how he got his guitar from his grandma? Well, we could, we could. See, so we could do it. Why don't you make that ten, and then nine will be 
who's who really is is do we have someone like Rick Ocasek now? Uh, do we have someone who is who organizes like, a band, uh, writes songs, sings, and produces other people's material that doesn't sound all the same? Or what if we take 1978 Rick Ocasek and he's he's here today with us mm-hmm. and he looks around at the music landscape like who who does he see as yeah like what would he do what what music would he produce now if he was you know in his 20s now yeah and starting on the music scene as he did in the 70s yeah. like would you be using uh, the voice not voiceover um auto voice mm-hmm. would auto voice yeah. be part of that so I don't think he you know, a lot of the bands he produced on I guess they, maybe they use, um, yeah. So it'd be kind of interesting. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Who? Who would he? Who would they see as their contemporary, or who would he could see as contemporary? Mm-hmm. And would he? Would he produce the same type of music? Uh, was that unique to that time period? Uh, would he produce? Would he go more direction of? Um, I mean, hip hop. Would he? Would he? Be, would he get into hip hop? I don't know, you know, uh, wasn't really an option in the mid seventies, but it would be now, you know, which direction would he yeah, go? Well, would he, he go more pop? Like, I don't if, know. If so yeah, if he hit his, if Rikasi hits his prime and the cars mm-hmm. will hit their primes in 2019 um, versus 1978, right? like what would that sound mm-hmm. like? Do you end up still with, you know, this album well, I, I'd still like that cover just because I think it's a great cover. You still, do you end up with this album yeah. or do you end up, what would that have ended up? I mean, obviously it wouldn't be exactly like this because you've had so much so much to build on. Um, but what would they have, mm-hmm. what would they have developed musically? Yeah, I mean, and we've, we've almost come full circle where if they were starting out now, their first recording might be on vinyl. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they might go back to vital, just like in the seventies. But, but yeah, I mean, I think I don't know that they would sound exactly the same way because they were they were really, in a lot of ways, a creation of the kind of emerging new wave, and you know, it wasn't so it had emerged by the by the time they were out, but they were part of that. And well, they, they're uh, very when, they, part when they came sound, out in seventies, they, they were very unique sounding in that mm-hmm. time frame when you looked at. If you when they it were came great. out, oh yeah, they were different they got, than a lot of the people. grease, mm-hmm. right? Right. So with the other albums I had written down, oh, the things popular at that time, music. The grease and, soundtrack was, oh, was I think, yeah. on the on one the of charts. the uh, one of the interviews. Uh, Rick was talking about how one of the reasons that they did the type of music they did is that rock at that time was was horrible, and it was. Oh my gosh, it was. You know, you look at some of the some of the popular rock of the particularly the mid-70s. The early 70s still had some really good stuff, but you like 74, 75, oh man, things are <laughs> things were slipping pretty hard on the top 40, you know, popular music. There was some good music coming out, but and, you know, Bruce Springsteen, there were some some good people emerging, but you know, they hadn't, yeah, like they hadn't quite emerged yet. Disco was around. <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of in a lot of ways it was kind of a bleak time. So yeah, he's absolutely right, and that's kind of what led to the new wave, kind of the return of the roots of rock and roll. That's really what led to the whole new wave movement in the first place was that rock had kind of, you know, failed basically in the mid seventies. Well, I think what like what was being marketed, yeah, just one branch being marketed out there, and some of the mm-hmm. other music that was that was popping up, just people weren't hearing. Yeah, um, 
And so, I mean, that I think that really influenced their sound at that time. But, you know, we're in a different time now, and some would argue rock's failing again now. But, well, there's, you know, but it's a different time frame. A different, rock is different now. Than I think it's different, but I think it's hard. It's easy in retrospect because there's a lot of other bands. Like, we don't talk about all the other bands that were around. Like when we talk about the Cars, we mm-hmm. listen to the Cars, right? But you don't mm-hmm. talk about all the other music that was around. Mm-hmm. They just don't listen to because we've had the luxury of time to kind of mm-hmm. filter it's like, ah, we're, I'm not going to play that because, you know, I, I've learned not to listen to that. Yeah. Today I'm finding, like, if I dig deep, and this is some of what I'm finding from YouTubers, um, like, I, the, uh, oh, um, there's an album out. Uh, well, I saw Deep um, Deep Sea Diver. It's a band. I went and saw them live. It's a small band, but they, uh, or, they, I mean, a small band, but they, uh, but they, have, they have a lot of great depth. <laughs> That's right. But, but it's a good, I mean, the, I love the sound. It's, it's like a neat, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty amazing sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's the country band. Uh, I heard they, they like to get tanked a lot. <laughs> you should listen to the song. There's so the many music. jokes. Oh my gosh. And some of them will get us kicked off YouTube. But there are so deep many jokes divers. about deep sea diving. Well, but the drummer is amazing. The I drummer, you know the jokes. The, I thought. the drummer and the lead singer are married. And she, <clears> the uh, lead singer is multi-instrumentalist. It's a joke right and, there. And she's, she's got like so much talent. Mm-hmm. And the drummer just like is so talented together. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. so that, that's out there. But it's like you have to. You have to like, you have to like dig around and search mm-hmm. through some of the like a lot of the popular stuff. I'm not super. Well, you know, and, and, and you know that's an interesting but. point because in in some way music has changed substantially from so was it Sturgill, Sturgill Simpson. Have you seen his new? Like he played country and now he's got this no. indie rock psych album out. It's, it's on Netflix too. I he's got Sturgill Simpson. Isn't that where those motorcyclists go every August? Or no? Oh wait, no, that's somewhere else. I don't know. No, I don't know. He's got this new album out, and it's it's pretty phenomenal. It's like it's like an indie psych country type vibe to it, and it's it's just good. Like Tool's new album, Hmm. I think is is pretty. uh, I I really love the drums. Tool's new album is very useful. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) very practical. Sometimes, (laughs) but. but you know, interesting point here that you know that you're talking about digging. You had to dig to, yeah, and to find these because you know music. The way music is not only is over music time. style, but the, the way music is presented, the way music is marketed, has changed substantially from right. the mid seventies. Uh, mid seventies. The bad news was, you know, you really you had to run through kind of the the record companies, the managers, the big shots, and they were the, the filters. Yeah, you know, they controlled all access to anything. And, you know, most groups couldn't get a hearing. Well, now, and but the groups that got a hearing, you heard. Everybody heard. Because everybody listens. You know, there were only a handful of rock stations. Everybody, well, more than a handful maybe. But, you know, every city only had maybe one or two that really played good rock. So, you know, people basically heard what was out there. Now... There are you know, a ton of ways you can listen. You don't even probably need a radio anymore. You can just uh, do it on Spotify or the YouTube, uh, a lot of rock groups. Access is so much easier. I mean, yes, it does always help if you've got a major record label. Yeah. You don't necessarily need a major record label. <laughs> you know, you can, I mean, there are musicians that do pretty well with just Spotify and, and YouTube and some of the streaming, certain, you know, Apple Music, some of the streaming services. Um, but the problem with that is they don't have the marketing that right. the major studios or the major record labels have that, that these artists had in the 70s. Yeah. So, 
you may never hear a lot of these people unless word of mouth. Word of mouth is well. It's like if you're tied to a major studio still, like and it comes out like they're putting out the next Marvel movie, Mm -hmm. and then oh by the way, you know this album, you know they got a picture of Spider Man on the Mm -hmm. album or whatever. You got this major marketing effort that goes with the. uh, well, and they have that artist, you know, any anymore. That's that's an important way that artists get out there uh, to well, a mass audience. Is they get their they get some of their music in a movie or a TV show. You yeah, know, they can even get a few yeah. seconds of the closing credits of a TV show. It's like, hey, who was it? That was but pretty good. You know, that's a right. way to get heard. I think my where I was going was the idea that I think there's some amazing music being produced today, but mm-hmm. you have yeah. to, oh yeah, you have to look for it. Like you can't, yeah. it's not coming into you. And I think the, with, with something like the cars, if you grew up with it, you remembered, oh, I like this music. And over time, maybe even you, you're like, wow, this is just so amazing. And you remember them, but you forget about all the other music that was around them that, mm-hmm. that was like maybe not as good. And so time oh, yeah. helped be a good filter. I think there's some yeah. good, great music out today. It would be, and so it'd be interesting just to have, you know, would the cars be, you know, major marketing or would it be end up like on a YouTube channel or SoundCloud mm-hmm. and there's like a core group of followers, but struggling to find a, a mass market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just remembering, I mean, we're down to, I think you have one more question maybe. Yeah. We, we're on quite, we're coming up question. We're last one. I, I was just remembering we have, we have a poll question that we haven't talked about. Should we talk about the poll question? We can, if you're, if you're watching this video, I think our poll question was, what is your Cars, the What's Cars? Your favorite Cars album? album. Including this one, of course, the the eponymous <laughs> yeah, debut, debut album. album which, which they actually joked, they would say, we should really call this the Cars Greatest Hits. And, you know, some people still think of it as that because it does have a lot of their yeah. major hits on it. But uh, it's really their first album, as you can see here. Um, there are, what were the other, the other choices were uh, Candy O. I think is there is the yeah, next yeah. album, which uh, we have to we have to have a cover of Candy O. Now I I never had a girlfriend that looked like Candy O, but I thought you uh, I think you did, Chris. I I always wanted a girlfriend that looked like Candy O, but uh, <laughs> I had to settle for the the blind driver here. It was, yeah. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it was Candy O. Then there was what Heartbeat City. Am I doing this in chron- the right chronological order? I mean Heartbeat City. And this, if there's one we didn't put. And then it was uh, we just said door, to the, door. door to door, door to door, and one of the others. So we only had, and then we have YouTube other. only. Yeah. Like, I think we only five. We only have we have those four, and then other. So if you like one of the others, frankly, most of you are going to like one of those four probably. But if you like one of the yeah. others, like heart, you pick the other. Yeah. Like greatest hits would be other, or their 2011 album other. <laughs> okay, go go with those, right? Yeah, I think what. Well, this goes back. My, I think the last question I would want to talk about is I alluded to it was uh, Rick got his first guitar from his grandmother, mm-hmm. and he talks about he fairly early on wants to be. Um, he he knows. I think he said by the time I was sixteen, I decided I want to go and have a music career. I, I knew that. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do in music, but I was I wanted to have a music career, and he's playing guitar when. Uh, with his, uh, this guitar that his grandmother gave him when he was 12. I didn't see a lot of information. Or I didn't see a lot of background on what else, what else influenced him in that time frame mm-hmm. of, uh, that really pushed him into music. Like uh, He's listening to bands. I get that. Was there uh, a teacher? Was there uh, 
Um, he's playing with his friends and peers. But was what else like really um, that he saw? Like, man, like, was there like when we talked about Angus Young? He talks about listening mm-hmm. to Chuck Berry and how yeah. seeing Chuck Berry on Armed Forces was it Armed Forces Radio down in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he's watching Chuck Berry, and that was like such a huge influence for yeah, him. And, and we talked about uh, Ray Manzarek. Yeah, yeah. we talked about the, his parents, you know, Polish. Children of Polish immigrants, but they they love blues. They were in Maxwell Street, Chicago, and they they love blues. And so he had these jazz and blues records at home. He just that's yeah. He kind of that's I want to do this. I want to do what they're doing. You know. Yeah. Oh, and um, and Steppenwolf. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, John K. Yeah, John K. From from Steppenwolf. Yeah. Uh, he he's the one that listened to it on Armed Forces Radio and is. Well, yeah, he was uh, an army brat kid, wasn't he? Or well, no, his no, he's in East. His dad is actually in uh, is a is in the German um, in World War Two. His dad they're they're Ooh. they're fighting for the Germans and then um, they uh-huh. uh, uh, the, his dad gets killed. Um, he has trouble with his eyesight. He moves to um, his mom gets him up to Berlin and then eventually over to a Western part of Berlin. So he gets better eye treatment. Mm-hmm. But part of this whole process is, is that he, he hears rock and roll on the radio and then um, he moves to Canada. They, the family moves over to Canada where he gets to explore it more, but mm-hmm. it, it, you know, his love of music becomes comes tied to um, this idea of freedom in a way that, that and that kind of just like hooks him in to mm-hmm. like oh I mm-hmm. this is why I want to play play music and so you have sort of this underlying core value or this underlying thing that he's like he associates music with it's kind of what I was would want to be interested in what like so like Rick talks about you know my mom, grandmother gave me this guitar mm-hmm. and I discovered fairly early on what the, what did the thing I want to do is music. But I don't think I really heard what it was at the core level that that music did for him. Like if, mm-hmm. if John Kay saying was music to me was about freedom. Um, yeah. And in, in, well, in, rock and roll is a long history of being about freedom. Right. I mean, it, uh, right. It but it's, but it's, it's not an accident that it's America's music. I, I just got to tell you, it really it's all about that. Yeah, but by '78, really I mean, yeah. you, you think we have we've pulled out of Vietnam. You have all this political. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about the seven years prior to that, I guess mm-hmm. he would have still been a even young as Watergate would have happened. But mm-hmm. you've had the '60s, which is the ramp yeah. up to Vietnam. So he had sort of a Rick would have had a different perspective on what was going on in the U.S. at that time. Right. Oh what, yeah. What did that music he was listening to um, in the '60s and '70s bring to him at the core level? That's like, man, this is what I want to go do. This mm-hmm. is what I want to. Yeah. Or was it? Like, like for some singers, like like Angus Walk Watch and Chuck, like Angus was very poor in England. They talk about they moved from England to Australia just to get out of the cold, and the parents made them play guitar over and over again. Got down there and they found out they have winter in Australia too. Yeah, but not quite, but not not quite quite as cold as as Great Britain. And and so, but it was a way out of like part of it is like he loves touring because it's like anything is better than working in the factory. What was it? No, it's probably you, true. Right? And so, right, anything. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. And so you kind of have this core thing that that that. All right, this is what's driving this person. What is driving Rick Acosta? I never got. Like, I don't think I've heard mm-hmm. that necessarily out of an interview or I, so far. And, and maybe the night podcast folks uh, 
would have they gotten could, that. Yeah, they could they could probably edit that. And you know, you know too. I mean, it almost some of the other things he said, and I don't really have an answer to what his influence would have been or what what he saw, what his ideal maybe was. Yeah. But the fact that he did say in an interview that hey, one of the things, one of the reasons that they came out with this sound is that rock had was not so good in the mid seventies. That almost implies that he knew a better. What was the better? You know, it's like, how do you know this isn't good? How do you know there's any, that well, maybe right. this is, is it, just what is, it is, 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 right? Is he thinking about what would happen you, in the 1960s? You'd only know that there's a better if you heard that this could be better. Yeah. You know, so. Did he have some way connection into the future, which what? gets back to our whole conspiracy theory again. Yeah, which maybe he is Rick, really Rick, Como. Yeah, maybe Rick Ocasek. Rick went back in time and is, and uh, is Rick Ocasek. And one of them has died, but. <laughs> and I'm just still, I'm still kind of. Reeling that the guy who wrote and sang "Born to Be Wild" and "The Pusher" uh, was the son of a Wehrmacht guy—that's wow. Not didn't oh right, carry the political beliefs over, <laughs> perhaps. No, he was a, he was a first sergeant in the he was like a, a first sergeant equivalent. And so mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, his mom was like we get, he had very bad eyesight, so mm-hmm. so it was a his perspective was probably. Um, Different, but yeah, no, John K. We did that whole. You should check out our John K. Did, podcast. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't on that, but yeah, I remember yeah. you did a John K. See, yeah. if I was, if I was on that, I would have known about the Wehrmacht and the whole. Yeah, no, John K. Is fascinating character, but you get down. I think for I think when you have a story like that, the core value pops out fairly. It's one of the first questions you get, you, mm-hmm. or as you go in these interviews, like that because of the extreme circumstance you get to this core value that underlies it. I mm-hmm. don't know for work because I heard that, like what is yeah, that core value that drove him? Yeah. Even like if he loves songwriting, what was that underlying core thing that really mm-hmm. drove him to love it? Like I got it. You like it, but why do you like it? You know, what yeah. is that core motivation that and got he, you there? And you, you know, he always in, in most of the interviews and, and really even the kind of the persona that you see in, in the group, Seems not like an, like he's not troubled. He's not an angry young man. He's just he's you know seems like he's pretty, he's pretty adjusted, put yeah. pretty put together. Uh, not necessarily not jump up and down happy, but not really unhappy. Um, and had a long Doesn't happy seem marriage bipolar. apparently. Yeah. To, you know, and so I mean, you know what. I, but I so I don't think somebody it's not it's not like an obvious thing or oh he was rebelling against society or whatever and but I, I I don't think somebody can have the kind of career he had and not have some kind of motivation right I mean, well, I, what was that core? I don't think you accidentally have a forty year musical career you, you don't spend <laughs> I don't think that it, happens it just right. falls on you you know I think you got to you know and you got to have a pretty good motivation and he's grinding it out, out for eight years like you're yeah. grinding it out for eight years you don't know if you're going to be successful yeah. oh yeah um, I mean work what, hard at it and what keeps you going right what, 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 for, was, what was the vision what was the yeah. Yeah. what was that core thing I don't know but he's, because he seemed pretty happy and seemed pretty normal really right as really for a rock star he's one of the more normal guys that I, well, that I think I've ever run across as we've been doing I mean, this podcast normal. like oh, yeah. most of these rock stars when you dig back into their per, like, when, you, when you look into them they seem very normal mm-hmm. like it's just they have this underlying yeah. motivation oh, yeah. Yeah. that kept them going yeah. maybe I, doing their craft I, mean, I said the same thing with Ray Manzarek right? this guy I'd hang with and, and totally would have hung with Ray if we'd known each other back in the day but 
But yeah, I mean, like if you saw him in the grocery store, you wouldn't be like, mm-hmm. like these guys don't run around. See, if I if I had seen not, Ray Manzarek in the grocery store in say like the late '60s, I would have said, Ray, listen, I, I love your work with the Doors. Here's what I, I'd like to write a song with you. We're in a grocery store. I'd like to write a song with you called Lost in the Supermarket. <laughs> because I think in about 10 years, there's going to be a group called The Clash that's going to want to buy that song. <laughs> so let's write it now. Now. Because okay? we are in the supermarket. Let's write it now. If we can time travel that way. See, then I would have had a 50-year musical career. That's right. But maybe not because I would have moved back in time. And You might be doing a... Retrospective on me. Retrospective? The Steve oh, Allen. The Steve Allen retrospective. Perspective. Yeah. Well, that's it. Well, so I think the last question, that's the last question. was. It is the last was, question. What was the underlying motivation mm-hmm. um, besides just liking music mm-hmm. that, that motivated him yeah. to, uh, uh, through his entire career, to do the amazing things that he ended up doing? And the band itself is amazing. Like all the different, you know, yeah, it'd be fun oh, to yeah, do this on, on, on a couple of different um, folks here mm-hmm. in the cars. Uh, so yeah, so if you liked this podcast, be sure to give us thumbs up and smash that subscribe button. Uh, go ahead and if you want to see the uh, podcast, you can listen to it on Spotify. You can listen to it on iHeartRadio. You can listen to it on Apple Music. Um, if you go to www.shakalad.com, it has a list of all of those and it has the podcasts out there that you can that you can download and listen to whenever you want. Mm -hmm. If you want to see some of our other podcasts, be sure to uh, click on this channel and you can see Mm -hmm. the, we've got a whole, um, there's a whole playlist and you can listen to, I think we've got probably about 12 hours right now. Oh yeah. Yeah, Quite a bit. When you're planning that next RV trip across the country, and you need 12 hours yeah. and, of... And your kids need to stay quiet. It's like, hey, I got something you can We watch. will keep you entertained we'll the entire time. Right. So smash that subscribe right. button, yeah. look for this playlist, mm-hmm. and we'll see you next time. Well, And, and so, he said if you like this, you know, to subscribe. If you didn't like this, you're yeah, probably... Yeah, give us a thumbs down. If you didn't like us... Leave us a comment. Well, if you didn't like it, you're probably not still here. But if you are still here and didn't like it, that little X right up there, just click it. No, just give us a thumbs down and put in the comments. Give us some feedback on the in the comments section. You can okay. click the X too, but if you want to give us a thumbs and then, down. And then click the little X and then you right, can, up, right up there. And then you type in lots of comments. It'll be fine. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. See you next time.